Welcome, welcome, welcome into Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by students for you. My name is Peter Roman, and this is episode 23 of the quarantine edition of my show. Can't believe it's been 23 episodes. A little bit crazy to think about the time that's passed, but today, my lineup for my sports topics. I have three main segments. So I'm going to talk about NBA offseason outlook now that their bubble season has come to a close. I'm also going to talk about European soccer recap. So the European qualifiers that took place over this past week, as well as a Merseyside Derby recap between Liverpool and Everton. I would do the Champions League, but... The games are going on today as I'm as I'm recording this, and so I don't think that this week will be the one to do Champions League. I'll do Champions League recap next week. And I wanted to start today with NFL Week Six, and that'll be my first main my first main segment. But I'm actually going to start today with some really unfortunate news on the university side of things, and that's with U Sports. So U Sports has been in a little bit of a holding pattern for their like winter sports here for a little while. They already canceled the, the fall sports season, and so now we were just waiting on the winter sports season, and U Sports has elected to cancel that too. So Canada West, the Ontario, Quebec, like they're all not going to have university seasons this year, which means... The Mount Royal Cougars hockey team, volleyball team, and basketball team, in addition to the soccer team, will not have seasons this year, which is, first of all, it's not super surprising. I don't think this came as a big surprise to anybody, but it's unbelievably upsetting, nonetheless. And my heart goes out to the athletes, to the coaches, to everyone involved with U sports and with you know putting together the seasons because it really means a lot I think to the schools to the players to everyone involved and their seasons now not going to happen this year and so obviously there's a lot of questions coming out of this you know will players retain eligibility right you know th there's kind of a lot of that that to be honest at this point you know the answers are uncertain as far as what this means overall, but nonetheless, very sad news that the U Sports season has been canceled. I was kind of hoping that they might be able to do some kind of regional bubble and then like a mini final tournament or something just to have something of a season this year, but I get in the time of COVID, it's very difficult, and especially with budgets being slashed and things like that, I understand that certainly this was going to be difficult to achieve, if achievable at all. But that's uh, that's the sad news for today, is U-Sports season has been cancelled, so it's not going to be a, a Crow Child Classic this year, which is one of my favorite games to go to. It's one of my favorite games to go to, just period, in my life, because it's such a really different game between UFC and Mount Royal, but... I guess that'll have to wait until 2021, but, or sorry, 2022, I guess, with the new year coming. It'll have to wait until next season. 
All right, on to NFL Week 6. So, speaking of COVID stuff, the NFL has managed to stay afloat in spite of the fact that it's been pretty dicey for them. But I still have some concerns with the NFL being able to finish, but for now, they're still going. So, I will too. Here we go, my Week 6 recap. I'll start, since there wasn't a Thursday night game this week, I'm going to start with the Bears and the Panthers from Sunday, from, uh, Sunday morning. We had Chicago winning this game 23-16. to Interesting stat, Chicago is actually 3-0 and on the road for the first time since 2006. And I know Chicago hasn't played a ton of good teams on the road, but Carolina is a solid team. They are not a pushover by any means, and the Chicago defense made life very difficult for Teddy Bridgewater in this game. Credit to the Bears, they are now 5-1 and one and top and top of the NFC North. I'll get to why they're top here in just a few minutes, but I really like the way Chicago's defense is playing right now because, you know, the defense isn't shutting out teams, but they're keeping them out of the end zone. That red zone defense for Chicago is the biggest reason why they're here in this in this spot right now. And so we'll see if they can keep it going or not. For Carolina, they have a they have a big game this upcoming week against the Saints, but Christian McCaffrey might be back for them. So that could be a big boost in trying to, you know, potentially sneak into a wildcard spot this year. All right, the next game, Bengals and Colts. Cincinnati got off to a huge lead in this game, and they blew it because they're Cincinnati and they're just not very good. And the Colts came back. They trailed by over 21 points in this one and came back to win 31-27. to The Colts' defense had a lot of problems in this one trying to stop Cincinnati early on. They ended up winning in the end, but the Colts, a little bit inconsistent. will be interesting to see how they continue to go as the season progresses. They're still a 4-2 team, though, which is good, but a little, little concerning, that performance, not going to lie. Lions and Jaguars, I'll be really quick with this one. Jaguars aren't very good. Detroit isn't very good. But DeAndre Swift, Detroit's rookie, had a very nice outing for the Lions and for my fantasy team, which I'm very grateful for because I have some injuries to my fantasy team. And so the Lions won on the back of their rookie running back Swift and beating the Jaguars very easily. Falcons played the Vikings. Again, I'll be nice and quick. Both these teams are now 1-5 because Atlanta won and held on to their big lead they won this game 40 to 23 as minnesota basically got blown out and then scored garbage points that's pretty much how the game went atlanta got that little boost after firing dan quinn and sometimes that happens where teams will get that little bit of an extra jump in their step after the coach gets fired and so it's usually only lasts about a week but we'll see if atlanta can string together a couple victories then we have a I guess that you can call this a game. The Washington football team versus the New York Giants. The Giants also got their first win of the season to go 1-5. and five. And wow, that NFC East is so terrible. I'll get to that division here in just a second. But Giants won this game by one. Washington actually tied the game late, but went for two to try and win the game instead of going for the... Like, they, it, it was 20-19. to 19, And then Washington decided to go for two points instead of going for the tie... And the Giants made the stop. And so the football team 
is now tied with the Giants at the bottom of the East, each just having one win only. Ravens and the Eagles. So my Philadelphia Eagles got off to a terrible start because Baltimore was kind of just annihilating them for most of this game. And then somehow the Eagles made a comeback. It was really weird. Like they had no business being in this game. Philadelphia was so obviously outplayed and they were able to make it close and then got the touchdown and then went for two and wow, that was a really bad two point conversion. Apparently Doug Peterson ran out of red zone plays. And I know there's a very vocal segment of the Eagles fan base that was calling for the coach's head. They were calling for Doug Peterson to be fired. I think that's stupid because coaches make mistakes. And unless you have Bill Belichick on your team, I mean, Doug Peterson isn't really any worse than the other good coaches in the league, at least in my opinion. I might be a little bit biased on that, but... He has one Super Bowl, just like Sean Payton, just like Andy Reid, just like Pete Carroll, just like John Harbaugh does, and Doug Peterson makes mistakes. He's certainly not a perfect coach. He makes mistakes just like every other coach makes, right? You know, Pete Carroll, Andy Reid, Sean Payton, these guys all make mistakes too. It's just, unless you have Bill Belichick, it's kind of tough if you have one of these really great coaches who's not Belichick hang on to them because I mean you see it all you look at some of the bad teams in the league and you'll be grateful for having a good coach type of thing but even though the, the Eagles you know could have tied this game I mean they didn't deserve to the Ravens were so obviously the better team Carson Wentz got sacked a whole bunch and now Miles Sanders is hurt and Zach Ertz is hurt and I am starting to I'm starting to really have trouble grasping who's left healthy on the Eagles because right now I'm looking at their roster and the healthy players who were starters or supposed to be starters. Uh, we have Jason Kelsey, the center. We have Carson Wentz, the quarterback and no injury. injury, injury. Oh, oh, and that's it. That's it. Oh, everyone else is injured. So yeah, that's fun. Anyway, Ravens deserving winners. Eagles are one, four and one, but somehow still in the NFC East contention. All right, on to the Browns and the Steelers. This game was surprising to me. And it's not because Pittsburgh won, but it's the way they won. Because Cleveland had been really good running the football against pretty much everybody this season. And I think the Browns really disappointed in this one, to be honest. Like, I think Pittsburgh did a fantastic job shutting down that entire offense. Baker Mayfield... I'm not calling him a bust yet, but that guy's got to play better. He's got to play way better. That was pretty unacceptable from the guy who's the number one overall pick not that long ago. Credit to the Steelers. They're 5-0. Titans and Texans went the distance going to overtime, but it was Derrick Henry who ended up having a couple big plays to lead the Titans to a 42-36 win. Tennessee is now 5-0. Their defense hasn't been spectacular so far but their offense is scoring a lot Derrick Henry is producing and Ryan Tannehill you know Tannehill I'm not the biggest believer in the guy but he's playing really good right now for the Titans and I mean 
you know, Tannehill, I still have concerns about, you know, whether or not the Titans could win a Super Bowl with him. But if you look at that team right now, I mean, you can't not have the Titans among the best in the NFL. Packers and Buccaneers. So this game, I think, I mean, it's pretty easy to explain. Green Bay went up 10-0. Aaron Rodgers threw a pick six and then basically threw a second pick six. And then after that had, you know, one of the worst throwing performances I've ever seen from him in his career. Because it felt like Rodgers couldn't complete a single pass. Every throw he made was terrible. Every throw he made lacked touch. It lacked accuracy. Lacked precision. It lacked any kind of throw power. Like, Rodgers was just horrible in this whole game. He didn't do a single good thing for Green Bay in this one. And Tampa Bay figured out their offense a little bit later in the game. Brady and Gronkowski scored a touchdown for the first time in a few years. And very easy win for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who look pretty good, not going to lie. Their front seven, even without Vita Vea, is still really legit. And Green Bay, against a good team, again, kind of got their teeth kicked a little bit. And, you know, it's one thing to be able to beat the bad teams, but you have to be able to beat the good teams. And I think Green Bay still struggles beating the good teams. All right, on to the 49ers and the Rams. So this was the Sunday night football game, and we had San Francisco winning 24-16. to Despite the fact that the 49ers are still really injured, they did get some players back, and that made a big difference. Jason Verrett had a big interception on Jared Goff in the end zone. Jared Goff, by the way, played terrible in this game. Pretty much like, he played like the mediocre overpaid quarterback that he is, because, you know, the Rams weren't playing the NFC East this time. So the 49ers certainly did a pretty good job. Jimmy Garoppolo was quite obviously being shielded with the game plan from Kyle Shanahan, but that made sense considering he's coming back from that ankle injury. And for LA, they get Chicago on Monday nights. We'll find out a lot about the Rams on Monday. Broncos and Patriots. So this game finally got played after being delayed last week. Broncos won this game surprisingly 18-12 as Drew Locke made his return. Didn't play that well, but Brandon McManus, the Denver kicker, if anyone had him in fantasy, they certainly were pretty happy with his performance as he nailed all six of his field goals to give the Broncos their win. For New England, though, and I think the guys on NBC Sports, I think they did a really good job breaking down the film of this. The New England wide receivers have a really hard time separating right now. And that is coming back to hurt this team, just like it did a year ago. Dolphins and the Jets. I'll be really quick with this one. So the Dolphins shut out the Jets. Tua Tungavailoa got to play for the first time. And now he's the starter. So a little strange timing to me, because I think Fitzpatrick's played pretty well over the last couple weeks. But he's now the starter for them. And the Jets are tanking hard for Trevor. All right, Cardinals and Cowboys was the Monday Night Football game. This one was a blowout. 38-10 to was the final score. Andy Dalton was pretty much Andy Dalton in any primetime game. Zeke Elliott had maybe his worst game of his career in this one. And Arizona, it wasn't pretty for them offensively, but Dallas is so bad that, you know, they were bound to score points eventually. And then Chiefs and Bills... Kansas City won 26-17. I think this game says a lot about Buffalo because in back-to-back -back weeks, they've had Tennessee and they've had Kansas City. 
I'm not sure if Buffalo's quite good enough to beat the best in the AFC yet. They certainly look like more of a pretender than a contender this week. But that's it for my recap. The only final note I have is about the NFC East and how it is the worst division in NFL history and they should take away the playoff spot because Dallas is 2-4 and four and Philly is 1-4-1 and one and somehow one of those teams is probably going to be the playoff team. Although the Giants and the football team are 1-5 and five and they could both... They could both technically win the division. <laughs> I have to laugh because that's the only way I can cope with how bad my team is. But anyway, that's the end of my NFL segment. On to the European soccer recap. So I'll start with the European qualifiers. So these were the playoff games where it was do or die, single leg. If you win, you get into the finals for a chance to qualify for the European championships. If you lost, you were eliminated. So here was the games. Georgia beat Belarus by one goal to nil. North Macedonia beat Kosovo two to one. That was a little bit surprising to me. Kosovo was my pick out of that group D stream, but they ended up losing in that one. Norway lost two to one to Serbia after extra time, so Erling Haaland will not be at the European Championships. Serbia though, very good team nonetheless. Scotland won on penalty kicks five to three over Israel to advance to the finals. Slovakia won on penalties over the Republic of Ireland, and it's a little bit of a shame because Northern Ireland won on penalties 4-3 to in a, after a 1-1 tie with Bosnia-Herzegovina, so we don't get an All-Ireland matchup in the finals there. And then Hungary won 3-1 to over Bulgaria, which was pretty expected, to be honest. And Iceland won 2-1 to over Romania to put themselves in the finals. So here are the playoff finals. So there are four games. The winner of each of these games will get a spot in the European Championships this summer. We have Georgia versus North Macedonia, Serbia versus Scotland, Northern Ireland versus Slovakia, and Hungary versus Iceland. So Hungary and Iceland. Iceland, I think, is the better team, but Hungary does get to be the home team for this one. They were drawn as the home team, so it'll be in Budapest. It'll be very interesting to see who comes out on the on top. I think Iceland, I would lean slightly for them, but certainly anybody's game. Northern Ireland and Slovakia. This one to me is quite interesting to be honest. I think Slovakia is just a little bit better than Northern Ireland, but the Northern Northern Ireland tends to play up to their opposition quite a lot, and so they play better than maybe their talent suggests. So again, another good game. I would probably slightly lean Slovakia in this one though. Serbia plays Scotland. Scotland has a lot riding on it for their place in the European Championships because they're one of the hosts. They have a host city. Glasgow is one of the host cities at the tournament. So they have a lot riding on this game, but Serbia is a very solid team. A lot of good players, and it'll be an uphill battle for Scotland, but certainly they... They, they have a lot riding on it for them personally as a country to make this this tournament. And then Georgia and North Macedonia, easily the worst two teams, but they get a spot because of the Group D pathway that UEFA set up. And so if you're asking me who I would lean towards, probably Georgia, but again, another game could certainly go either way. Excited for those. Those games will, go, will take place, sorry, Thursday, November 12th. And we will have our final four in the tournament. All right. On to the club side of things. 
So Liverpool and Everton was the big Merseyside Derby game from this past weekend. I know Arsenal play Man City, but that game was kind of boring. So I want to talk about the Liverpool-Everton game because it was a really fun game, really exciting. And then the... And then the referees decided to ruin it because Liverpool scored a game-winning goal with very little time left on the clock and it got disallowed by the referee sitting in the booth looking at the replay who somehow decided that Sadio Mane was offside on the assist he gave to Jordan Henderson. Now, for anyone who hasn't seen what happened, I've looked at this angle... I've looked at this for so many different angles, different spots, and I just can't for the life of me see in any way how it was offside. And I have to really question if the video assistant referee, the guy sitting in the box looking at replays, does he have eyes? Is his vision okay? Because I don't think it is. So the offside rule is a little dumb sometimes in soccer. And I'm not afraid to say that. I was a referee for five years, and I know better than anybody. It's kind of a dumb rule the way they describe it. But the offside rule, the way it's enforced, it should have never been called in this case. Because number one, Sadio Mane is 100% in line with the last defender. But also, most importantly, even if, you know, if, if I'm going to play devil's advocate here and you're going to say that, oh, but Sadio Mane's like elbow or arm or whatever was offside. Well, I am at the FA's website. So this is the Football Association website. These are the rules for the English Premier League. And I'm going to read it line for line right now. So offside position. It is not an offense to be in an offside position. Not by itself anyway. A player is in an offside position if, first point, any part of the head, body, or feet is in the opponent's half, excluding the halfway line, and any part of the head, body, or feet is nearer to the opponent's goal line than both the ball and the second last opponent. And this third point is the one that's really important. The hands and arms of all players, including the goalkeepers, are not considered. So... Why was Mane offside? The hands and arms of all players, including the goalkeepers, are not considered. So why was he offside? And the answer is, he wasn't. It's just, they blew it, and... Yeah, I hope that doesn't come back to bite Liverpool later on. We'll see. Anyway, just wanted to mention that. On to my last segment, NBA offseason outlook. So the NBA is now transitioning into its offseason... And there isn't quite as many storylines this offseason as there will be next offseason, but still some notable ones that I wanted to talk about really quickly. The Toronto Raptors, I think, are a very interesting team, not just because they're Canada's team, but also because they have Serge Ibaka, who's a free agent. A little curious to see whether or not they bring him back. Fred Van Vliet's contract is interesting because I don't think he's a max player, but he's also, you know pretty good even if he's not max and so it's like how much are they willing to pay van vliet to keep him around the milwaukee bucks are obviously a big storyline because Giannis is into his final season and they can now offer him the supermax contract and so we'll see if he signs it or not that'll be interesting to keep an eye on the brooklyn nets have kevin durant coming back from injury and they've been rumored to potentially want a third 
star on their team. So I'm curious to see if they can get a third star or if they even will. Because I actually like Spencer Dinwiddie and Laverde and some of the other guys on that Nets team. But they there certainly seems to be rumors that Duran and Irving want a third co-star. And the last interesting team to keep an eye on is Golden State. And that's because the Warriors have a trade exception. They have a Minnesota pick next year. And they have the number two overall pick in this year's draft. And so Golden State, it feels like they could go a number of different directions this offseason. And so I'm very curious to see what Golden State decides to do. They'll obviously be a title contender next season. In my opinion, they're the best team in the Western Conference when healthy. But we'll see how Klay Thompson comes back from his injury. As far as the offseason and, you know, players who might be who might be available in free agency, we have Paul Millsap, who is coming off his contract. I wouldn't be surprised if he resigned in Denver, but obviously he's not going to make $30 million like he was. Gordon Hayward, I expect to opt into his player option, so I don't think he'll be a free agent. DeMar DeRozan is a curious one to me. I'm not sure if he'll opt into his contract or if he'll want to test the market. I, if I if you're asking me today, I would probably say that he's probably going to lean into his player option, but I guess we'll see. DeRozan's an interesting name to keep an eye on. And then we have a few other players with player options. One guy who's definitely going to decline is Anthony Davis, but that's just because Davis can get more money by declining and then re-signing with the Lakers, but no one actually thinks he's going to leave. And then Hassan Whiteside, free agent, should be interesting to see. Marc Gasol is going to Spain, so he won't be coming back. And then Danilo Gallinari, another interesting free agent to keep an eye on. He's a pretty good player. And Goran Dragic, we'll see if Miami tends to resign him or if they want to go with Kendrick Nunn. So there's some players as far as the free agent, free agent market is concerned and whether or not they will be re-signed. But that's it. That's all I got for today. My show next week, I'll do a little bit of an NHL looking ahead um, segment where I'm going to look at potentially the rumored all-Canadian division and what that might look like because I think that looks like a lot of fun. Like I said, I'll have a Champions League recap next week as well and NFL Week 7 stuff, so you can look forward to that. Thank you for listening in today, and once again, be happy, be healthy, and stay safe, everybody.